0: Good evening, how are you? (laughs) If you have your Bibles, you can open them to James chapter 1. I want to begin reading in verse 13, and we'll go to the end of the chapter tonight. We're going to stay in this passage for a few weeks. There's just so much in it, uh, but I want to take an overview uh, of the whole uh, section tonight. James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted... I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brethren." Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So then, my brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to listen, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he look, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and I love that the law of liberty he's saying, the word of God is the law of liberty. It will bring freedom, and continues in it, is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this, one, this one's religious religion is useless pure and undefiled religion before god and the father is this to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world would you just pray with me father god we thank you and i praise you for your faithfulness lord for your goodness to us lord i thank you that your word is truly powerful And that you don't want it to just go out. You want it to go out and prosper. You've ordained it to be that way. And so, Father, I pray that as this word goes out tonight, that you would awaken hearts and minds and that people would receive your word. Receive that implanted word, which is able to save their souls, which is able to save my soul, Lord. I pray that you would speak it in such a manner, Lord, that, 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 that it just penetrates our hearts and our minds, Lord God. I pray that, that you would anoint my lips to speak your word boldly and confidently and with great authority, Lord God. I pray that you'd help me to speak it with clarity and with effectiveness. And Lord God, that you would just open our eyes to truth that we haven't seen before, that you would give us understanding that we haven't had before. And Lord, that you would radically change and transform our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I really um, want to just talk with you tonight. I don't want to teach. If you're here tonight and this is your first time, please come back because I'm a preacher. Um, It's very hard for me to teach, but I really I really feel like this is something that uh, we just need to go slowly through uh, tonight before we look at it, uh, look at the big picture. Um, I, I just really want to pull out a few things that I want to, to, to do some teaching on tonight. Last week, we talked about Samson, and, and the reason I pulled Samson into our teaching last week was I was struck by this passage talking about sin and how it's our own desires, our own passions, our own lusts that, that draw us away and entice us. That, 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 that desire and that lust then, uh, it, it, it conceives in us, and then it gives birth to sin, which leads to death. And that's an automatic response. That's exactly what's going to happen. And, and I talked last week about how we want to point the finger and blame everybody else for our sin, or we want to say the devil made me do it when really scripture tells us it's our own desires that cause us to do that. Those outside influences really will, will, will draw us out and, and maybe we will stumble over and end up sinning in, but really it all goes back to the fact that it is our own evil desire that we have been lured away and enticed by. And so in this passage, we see James going back and telling us the importance of of yielding to the word in our life, yielding to God's word and and having that be truth within us no matter what the world tells us is enticing, no matter what desires rise up within us, we have to always learn to yield to the word of God knowing that is really what brings, brings life and brings truth within us. Sin is conceived when we are tempted to get our needs met and our desires met in sources other than, the, than our Lord. Uh, James tells us that every good and perfect thing comes from God. We think we can find good and perfection and we can get our desires met and that there's something that this world has to offer that will please us and fulfill us more than God. James says don't be deceived, you are being deceived. If, if you're looking to something other than God to fulfill your desires and to meet your needs, you are deceived every good thing we could ever need, every legitimate need we have can be fulfilled completely in him and him alone. We get lured away by fraudulent desires. We get corrupted by our own lusts. We get ensnared by the temptation to believe the lie that we can find happiness or the things we need or satisfaction in anything other than God. But he is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Every good thing comes from him. And so we should be looking to him to get those needs and those desires fulfilled. We're told in verse 16 that we are to be careful to not be deceived. Self-deception will cause us to actually believe that that satisfaction and fulfillment can be found in other sources than Christ. And James is saying if it's not from God, it's not good. That thing that you think you can't live without will not bring good in your life if it's not from God. Matthew 6:33 I spent some time in in Matthew 6:33 this morning many of you know that scripture by heart but this morning I really uh, just spent time in it I my daughter called me and she said you know mom I'm worried about this and this and this and, and I have a little anxiety over this and, and 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 you know mom I really I really would like to get this job and can you pray about this and, and she was sharing these things with me, and I was telling her about the Book of James and what we're learning in it, and, and I told her I had spent some time in, in Matthew 6:33 this morning, and you know the scripture. it says, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness." And all these things will be added unto you. And I said to her, I said, Brooke, if you look through that passage, the, the, the beginning of that chapter, it talks about, you know, don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about this. Don't be anxious about this thing because don't you know that your father will take care of you? And, and it says, but rather seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things then will be added unto you. If you understand that every good and perfect gift is from God, that everything you need is from God, that as we seek him, those desires and those passions and all our needs will be met in him. As I looked into that verse in Matthew 6, 33, the word seek ye first. That word seek means to seek in order to find. To seek in order to find out by thinking, meditating, reasoning to inquire into, to strive after. Oh, I love that, to crave. Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Are you craving the kingdom of God? Are you striving after the kingdom of God? Are you, are you looking to have your mind meditating, thinking on reasoning about the kingdom of God? You say, Maria, well, what is the kingdom of God? That word kingdom means, means the king's domain, the king's role. And I wonder how many of us really come under the lordship of this word. How many of us really come under the rule of God? What he says goes, that this is our final authority, that this is what we yield to. Or are we enticed and drawn away by our own lustful desires that really do not line up with God's word? Is there any wonder that we're depressed, that we're full of despair and hopelessness? Is it any any wonder that that, that we don't have joy, we don't have peace? Because we are chasing after our own lusty desires that do not line up with this word. And and we are told in scripture, if we seek first the kingdom of God, his rule, his reign in our life, if we crave his authority and his reign in our life, all these things are going to be added unto us. He says, seek ye first, first, make that your priority above everything else. Seek first the kingdom of God, his rule in our life, and his righteousness. Oh, that's interesting. That word righteousness, it means right living. It means living as you ought to live before God. It's the state of him who is as as he ought to be. It's living a condition that's acceptable to God. I wonder if we even care about that anymore. I wonder if that even matters to us, how we're living. I wonder if we give any thought to God, is my life pleasing to you? Am I living a way that's acceptable to you? Or does it really matter to us? It means integrity, virtue, purity of life, correctness of thinking and feeling and acting, it's character. You say, well, Rhea, Scripture says that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's exactly right. When you came to Christ, you became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If I looked at Kelsey through a pink balloon, I would see Kelsey as what? Pink. Are you, are you following me? And you and I, when we came to Christ, uh, it was just as if we've never sinned. He, he bore the punishment for our sin on the cross of Calvary. The punishment that brought you and I peace was on him on the cross of Calvary. We couldn't earn it. It is, it is uh, by grace that we've been saved through faith. We've received the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ. We can't work for that. We can't earn that. We've been given that through grace. And now it is just as if we've never sinned. When God looks at me, he looks at me through Christ. And I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's just as if I've never sinned. That's my standing with him. It's just as if I've never sinned. I can't earn that. I can't work my way there. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Justification has to do with God's approval of us. He looks at us and he sees Jesus. That's our standing before him. We are in right standing with God. If we go sin tomorrow, we are still in right standing with God. He sees us through the pink balloon. It's just as if we've never sinned. And justification is not something that someone can see in our life. It's our standing. But righteousness, the righteousness that I want to talk to you about tonight, righteousness that we see, he leads me in paths of righteousness. We see that in Psalm 23. The righteousness that James is talking about in chapter 1, it's not a reference to standing. It's a reference to behavior, that's why we're told to let our light so shine before man that, that, that man might see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. You see, if all I'm doing is saying, but I've been justified, and it's just as if I've never sinned, and I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and so I can live like hell, it doesn't really matter. Well, then how is man gonna see my good deeds and glorify my Father in heaven? You see, yes, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's our standing, and nothing will ever, ever change that. But righteousness matters. It matters. We're not talking about an imputed righteousness. I'm not going to talk to you tonight about an imputed righteousness. Uh, it's it, Regardless of whether we behave rightly, we are declared righteous before God. But this is where we get into trouble. We're tempted to say that even if we don't walk, live, and behave in righteousness, we can still die and go to heaven because we're saved by grace. We think, what does it matter if I live like this or I indulge in this certain sin? I'm going to heaven, and I've been saved by grace. But James tells us that desire is conceived. It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings death. Death is automatic, Bringing forth death after sin is conceived happens whether or not you've been saved by grace. There are consequences. And see, we don't want to hear that. We don't want to preach that. The blood cleanses us from sin. The word cleanses us from defilement. I want to just talk to you just a bit about the tabernacle. And and it's going to feel like I'm choppy tonight. It's going to feel like uh, uh, that I'm all over the place. Just try to follow me in this because I want to just go back to Adam and Eve. And it's important that we talk about this because last week we started talking about Samson being sanctified, set apart for God's glory. Do you know that we as the church have been sanctified and we're set apart for God's glory? We are to shine and let our light shine before man so that we can glorify God, that people will see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. We are set apart for his glory. That is why we live. But Samson was set apart for God's glory. He was sanctified. He was consecrated before God. God had a call on his life. But you see, Samson did what you and I do all the time. He was lured away and enticed by his own desires. And, and that sanctification went right out the door. It didn't matter to him anymore. And his life ended poorly. You say, well, Rhea, I can still die and go to heaven. Yes, you can. This weekend, I spent my weekend, we had a wonderful, wonderful weekend of conferences and church services yesterday morning, and, and I heard more stories of pain than I think I've ever heard in all the years that we've been ministering. Horrible pain, like gut-wrenching pain. Leslie and I left yesterday afternoon, and, and, and we, were, <laughs> we, we were just amazed at what God did, But I thought to myself, all of the stories of pain, one horrible story after another, that so many of those stories could have been avoided. They could have ended different if righteousness had just mattered. If the kingdom of God was what we were seeking first, his rule and his reign in our life. If his word really did have the final say. Hear me say, I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching to myself as well. But I wonder how things would be different. Adam and Eve, you know the story. God created them for fellowship. You've heard me tell this story a million times, but I just want to go over it again tonight. Adam and Eve were created in the garden and they were created by God for fellowship. God wants to fellowship with his people. He wants to to, to walk with us and to dwell with us. He's Emmanuel, God with us, and and he wants intimacy with us. He doesn't want to be a far-off, disconnected God. He cares about you personally. He wants a personal relationship with you. He wants a personal relationship with me. And so when God created Adam and Eve, we were created for fellowship. When he created man, it was for fellowship. And, and the Bible says that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, and, and he fellowshiped with them. They were tight. And then you know the story. God says, you can have anything you want in this whole garden. Just don't eat of this one tree. Everything else is yours. Just don't eat of this one tree. And who knows that God means what He says. And, and so uh, he said, if you eat of this one tree, death will come. Because what did we find out? That, that, that sin gives birth to what? Death. It'll come every single time. It's the, it is a natural law of sowing and reaping. And so God says, do not eat of this one tree. That's all I'm saying. Don't eat of this one tree. Because if you do, you will surely die. And God means what he says. And you know the story, Adam and Eve. God leaves Adam and Eve. Uh, Book right to that one tree that he told them not to eat of because the devil enticed. He said, Did God really say? Because you know, God doesn't mean what he says. His word, you, you must have misinterpreted his word. His word doesn't really matter. And you know the story. Eve eats of the apple. She gives it to, or the fruit. She gives it to Adam. Adam takes some. They realize that they are naked now and naked and full of shame. Shame comes into the picture because of sin. They go and hide. God comes into the garden and he says, "Where are you?" This is the all-knowing God who knows everything. He knows where they are. And he said, "What have you done?" and they point the finger we talked about this last week they point the finger they blame the devil they Adam blames the wife blames the wife and essentially blames god for giving him the wife and nobody really deals with their own sin so god who means what he says he said death will come and and and, and so that sin they're, they're their disobedience to God separated them from God. You know the story. There has to be blood. There has to be a sacrifice. Blood must come. Death will come. Instead of taking Adam and Eve and, and killing them off, death coming that way, what does he do? He finds a substitute. Substitute. It's a picture of Christ being the substitute for you and I because we sin and death must come. It's a natural consequence. Death must come. And so rather than take us, he wants fellowship with us. He has provided a substitute. His name is Jesus. It was a once and for all substitute. He paid the penalty for our sin so that we could have restored fellowship with God. And that's where all of the, the substitutionary uh, sacrificial system came into play was after Adam and Eve. That's where they started bringing animals in as a substitute for the death that they deserved. Sin, death must come. There's a substitute. They brought an animal. The priest would slaughter the animal. That would be their substitute. Um, they could have another year of fellowship with God. It was good. And then you know the story, and Don, do we have the diagram that I gave you? You know the story. The Israelites were God's chosen people. They're still bringing sacrifices. God decides that he wants to dwell with his people. He wants to fellowship with his people again. And you know the story. He decides he's going to tabernacle with them, and he tells Moses to build a tabernacle. And I think we have a picture of that tonight. And this is what I want to talk to you about. This tabernacle, now we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and this tabernacle is a picture of God coming and dwelling with his people. We've talked about the tabernacle several times in, in Bible study before, but I want you to see there was a, a gate, really like a curtain, all around the tabernacle, and that was a picture of us being uh, on the outside, disconnected from God, and, and that fed, that. There, there was a curtain the whole way around the tabernacle, and there was only one entranceway to the tabernacle. There was one gate, and you can see the, down at the bottom, if done, can we lift that up just a little bit? You can see there was one entrance on the east side, and by the way, the east side is where Adam and Eve were banished in the garden to the east. That is where Christ is going to come back in the east, and and so there is one gate into the into the entrance point to where God is dwelling. You see the three sections: there is the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. the The presence of God is in the holy of holies. You and I long for the presence of God. Anybody besides me long for the presence of God well that holy of holies is going to be symbolic of the presence of God how do we get there we enter through the gate who is the gate Jesus is the gate there is no other way except through him no man cometh to the father except through Christ he is the gate he is also the way the only way And so when we come to Christ, you know the story. We come to Christ, we enter, and and it's a sacrificial, uh, there's got to be a sacrifice. There must be blood because we have now been separated from God by what? Sin. Sin has separated us. There must be blood. Death. That's what happened to Christ on the cross of Calvary. He took our punishment. Are you with me? He died so that we could live. He paid a price that he did not owe because we had a price we could not pay. And so he died on the cross of Calvary. So now we can come to God and we can enter his presence because of the sa- sacrifice of Christ. The next area, uh, now this is all the outer court. The next area is the laver. And you know the laver, I love this. It was it was made by the mirrors that the women collected in Egypt. And they hammered those mirrors into uh, a laver, into... Uh, A basin. And that's where the priests, after they slaughtered the animal, after there was death, they would go in and they would wash their hands because they needed to be cured they needed to be cleansed before they come into the presence of God. I love that it was the mirrors. I could preach on the tabernacle till I was blue in the face. I love it. I love that when the priests looked down in, they saw a reflection of themselves because they used mirrors oh baby, I could preach on this, I just won't, Lord, stop me, because we're going to talk in James about the mirror of God's word, and no man who, who, who goes to the mirror and sees what he looks like, walks away and says, oh, you know, forgets what he looks like. When I get up in the morning, if I've got mascara running down my face, I don't say, oh, I have mascara running down my face, and then I walk away and don't do anything about it. And James is saying, you can't just come to the Word and look into it and and get a picture of yourself and then do nothing about it. Just walk away and ignore what you saw. And so I love that the laver is made by mirrors and that they're going to get a reflection of themselves in that mirror and they're washing and they're cleansing. And then from that laver, now they can go into the holy place. and, And that holy place had three pieces of furniture in it. I really am going someplace with this. Um, they, it was divided into those, th- those three sections, and, and the most holy place, or the holy place, had three pieces of furniture in it. And you'll see, I think it says there, the golden lampstand, the showbread, and the altar of incense. Now, those three uh, items of furniture are also symbolic, and if I had my, do I have my chart here, Dave? Oh, no. Do you remember when I drew the three circles? And there was the spirit, the soul, and the body. Are you with me? And we talked about how when you come to Christ, you have have a body, you have a soul, and you have a spirit. And how when you come to Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. The spirit has been reborn. But you still have a soul, your mind, your will, your emotions that has not been made new. And that's why we're told to renew your mind, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then the body which is on the outside. And the body is led either by the spirit or the soul. It kind of just goes where you tell it to go. Well, that's the same thing we see in the tabernacle. The body would be that outer that outer area. The holy place now would be symbolic of your soul or your mind. And of course the spirit would be the holy of holies. So if you're thinking that way and you're thinking that that section, the holy place now is your, your, spirit, your soul, so your mind, your will, your emotions, let's think of it that way. That's the three pieces of furniture are going to be the process that it takes to transform that soul of man. Stay with me. So the way is the, the entrance to the, the, the tabernacle, the, the truth now is the entrance to the holy place because it's the truth that will transform your mind, your will, your emotions. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does our mind get renewed with? The word of God. And that's what's gonna transform us. So fleshly Christians never, ever get to that middle section. They're never going to get to that holy place. They just stay away from it. They've been saved by grace. They're content to receive the sacrifice. They're content to know that they're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And let's just stay in this outer court. But I want some presence of God in my life. Anybody besides me? I love, I love, I love his presence. Any. Buddy, besides me if you could have seen God move this weekend Leslie if I'm lying I'm dying if you could have seen him move this weekend we kind of just stood back we could not even believe the power of God that was in that place I'm telling you there is a difference between standing in the outer court and experiencing the power of God in your life and when you get in the presence of God things change I promise you things change it blows my mind and so if you want to be an outer court Christian and continue to live there, rock them with your bad self. But there is so much more. There is so much more. And that's what James is saying. He's saying, if you, want to give, if you want your lust to be drawing you away, if you want to live like everybody else is living, if you want to be enticed by your own desires and give in to them, you do that. But you need to know it's going to give birth to death. But instead, he encourages us to receive the implanted word of God, which is able to save our what? Soul, the holy place. That's symbolic of the soul. Are you following me or is this too deep? The soul, your mind, your will, your emotions. So what is the first piece of furniture? The golden lampstand. Does anybody know what the golden lampstand is all about? It is the only light in that whole tabernacle. There is no other source of light there aren 't any windows uh, in in the tabernacle and it 's a picture of the Holy Spirit the priests had to make sure that the oil was replenished uh, it was it 's a picture of the illumination of our mind uh, it was made of gold so that's symbolic of holiness um, and it is it 's a picture of um, Of going into the deeper things of God, not being satisfied with the surface things. I I will tell you, I pray all the time, Lord, I want to know the deeper things of God. I want to know the secret things of God. I don't just want to read. I don't just want to come away with what some other preacher has. I want the secret things of God. I pray it all the time. And that's that picture of getting closer. Notice that as you proceed through that tabernacle, you get closer and closer and closer to the presence of God, which is in the Holy of Holies. Do you want closer and closer and closer to the presence of God, or are you content to be an outer court Christian that just gives in to his own desires and does as he pleases and is not seeking first the kingdom, the rule and the reign of God? So, the golden lampstand is a picture of illumination. It is the only thing that gives light in the, the holy place. Now here's what's just fascinating. The next piece of furniture is the showbread, the table with the showbread on it. And that's also called the bread of presence. Oh, I, I just love the bread of presence. It's, it's called face bread because you know when you seek his face, the Bible says, seek his face and not his hand. So many of us go to God and we want his hand. We go to him for what he can do for us. We go to him for, for, you know, save me, Lord, from this. Deliver me from this thing. But rarely do we ever go to seek his face. And his face is his presence. And the Bible says very clearly, don't seek his hand, seek his face. Do you seek his presence? Are you up in the morning seeking his presence? Are you, are you praying uh, 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 unceasingly? Are you praying constantly seeking his presence, desiring to be in his presence? That showbread is face bread. And uh, what's interesting to me is it literally means bread that will cause God to show up. Showbread. It's our daily bread. It's, what do we call this right here? The bread of life. Words of life right here. This is the bread of life, and we need daily bread. We need to sit with that Bible day in and day out and get fed. Can I tell you, it is my sustenance. It is, it is what brings me life. Ask my family. They will tell you. They know when I've been in that word and when I have not. It makes that much difference in my life. It is my source of life. And you see, what's interesting to me is that the priest, when he went into the holy place, he could not see the bread without the lamp. Without the, what did we say it was symbolic of? The Holy Spirit. And you see, what we want to do is we want to come to this book, because the Bible says that the things of the Spirit are spiritually discerned, and the natural man cannot understand them. So if the lamp is symbolic of the illumination of the Holy Spirit of our minds being illuminated by the Holy Spirit, and if the priest can't see the showbread, the bread of life, without the lamp, how can we ever open up this word of God and just say, I'm just gonna read it? You know, like a book. I never, ever, ever open the word of God without saying, Lord, this is a supernatural book. You are a supernatural God. If I'm coming to it in my natural thinking, I'm not going to understand it. I need the Holy Spirit to illuminate it. Scripture says that you and I don't even need a teacher, that the Holy Spirit will come and teach us. Are you with me? The lamp of the Holy Spirit, the illumination from the Spirit will teach us. We can't see the showbread without the Spirit. Remember, I told you that it's called the show bread. It it literally means bread that will cause God to show up. Oh, can I tell you, when I sit with this in the morning, when I sit, I don't don't just sit and get up. I don't read a verse or two and sit and get up. I wait until he speaks to me. I don't close the book until he speaks to me. I don't care if I have to sit there two hours. I'm not moving, Lord, till you speak to me, till I hear your voice, because this is his what? Word. Word, word, do you hear my words? And when we sit with the word, we should hear him speak. Why are we so quick to leave his presence? I'm not leaving your presence, Lord. I am coming through. I'm stopping at the the brazen altar and I'm gonna be a living sacrifice. I thank you for what Christ did, but your word says that I need to now present myself as a living sacrifice. I am dying, Lord. I, see, that's what Samson didn't want to do. Samson didn't want to die. And I am here, Lord, and I am dying to self. I'm dying to have it my own way. I'm dying to my lusts and my fleshly desires. And I am saying your way is the right way. I'm dying. And now I'm going, Lord, and I am washing. I am washing this filth off of me. You say, Rhea, you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Yes, I am, but my feet get dirty. Peter. <laughs> Lord, thank you so much. Peter is in the upper room and Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And what does Peter say? Somebody tell me. He says, I need a bath, Lord. Wash all of me. Don't just wash my feet, wash everything. And what does Jesus say? Peter, you've already had a bath. You just need your feet washed. And it's us, church. Yes, we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Praise the Lord, I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. You know what? I'm just going to tell you that I am like Paul. I am the chief of sinners. There is nothing you could come up here and say, I did, that I probably can't agree with you and say, I did that too. I am the chief of sinners. But let me tell you what, I've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. I've been redeemed. I've been set free. It's just as if I've never sinned. But I'm going to tell you what, just today, I got my feet dirty. I got my feet dirty. You say well these people that say oh Ria you don't have to tell God you're sorry. Are you are you crazy? Do you read the same Bible I read? 1 John 1:9. What does it say? Somebody tell me. If we, who's saying that? John, <laughs> we believers, if we, he's including himself, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Open your Bibles to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. You guys are so good. Can I tell you? I'm impressed. Ephesians 5. Look at this. Oh, Lord, we love you. Ephesians 5, 25. You say, Maria, what are you talking about marriage for? Because I want you to see something. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is what I want you to see. That he might what? What was, what was Samson? Sanctified. That he might sanctify and what? Cleanse. What do we do at the labor? Cleanse. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy. Somebody say holy. Holy and without blemish. Oh, that's so good. I could just park there, but we won't. But what I want you to see is that husbands love your church like Christ lo- love your wives like Christ loved the church, you and I and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify, set apart. Do you know that in the tabernacle, in the temple, any there was, let, let's say, a bowl or um, a vase that was used, uh, if, if they needed, the priest needed a bowl for something in the, in, the, in the temple, let's say. Do you know that they just went and got a normal, ordinary bowl out of a house or had a potter make a normal, ordinary bowl There was nothing special about it. But then they would take it into the temple, and I think they would like, what, Davy splash blood on it, I think. And that would sanctify it. It would make it holy. It was just a normal bull. But it was a bull that was taken out of uh, the world and set apart for God's use. See, some of you just got that. That you and I have been Sanctified we've been taken out some of you need to hear this you've been taken out of the world you were like the world but God has sanctified you. He said, I got, to, I got to use you. I have some ideas for you. I, w- I want to set you apart from my glory. Let your light so shine before men, so that the people will see your good deeds and glorify your, your Father in heaven. I so have you I still got a plan for you. You belong to me. And I am taking you out of the world. And I am sanctifying you with the blood of Jesus. And I am going to use you for my glory. And I declare you holy. I de- not because you're anything special. You, you're just a bull. Taken out of public use to bring me glory. Oh, I I want to stand on the chair right now. Do you understand that? See, if you got that deep in your soul, (laughs) that you've been created for his Glory. We're going shopping, we're going to Kohl's, we're going to the grocery store, we're having coffee with our friends, we're we're going skiing, we're going whatever it is we do, watching TV, being on Facebook. (laughs) We've been set apart for his glory. We've been sanctified, taken out of public use. Sanctified and set apart for his glory, for his use. that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water. This was my sermon this week on napkins. (laughs) That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, by the word. Lord, help me to bring this together now. You see, when we came to Christ, we came And it was the blood of Jesus that brought us there. And now we present ourselves as a living sacrifice because that is our what does the word say? I have it written down here somewhere. Reasonable. Is that what it says? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You say, well, what is it my reasonable service for? Because he spends the first, uh, I think, 11 chapters of Romans telling us about sanctification, telling us about salvation, telling us about sin and and sovereignty of God. And then he gets to chapter 12 and he says, now I beseech you, brother, in light of all of this, in light of what God has done for you, the least you can do is now to present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And that's what we do at that, that altar. And then we go, and, and, and we've been dead, and we 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 we've, we, uh, we have presented ourselves to God. But now our feet get dirty, like Peter's. Our feet get dirty, and they need to be cleansed. And we pick up that junk in the world, and so we go to that 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 basin, and we wash, we wash in the morning in that altar or in that laver, and, and 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 we want to go into His presence, and so we're going to wash, and we're going to let Him cleanse us, and we do that right here. In this word, it says that he, he washed us with his word, with his word. And unless we're getting in this word in the morning and we're spending time in it, is it no wonder, I'm telling you, as we sit with this, we get cleansed. We get cleansed of, 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 of mindsets and thinking, thinking processes that are not good. We get cleansed of those lustful desires. We get cleansed and washed by that word. Have you ever been in a place where you were doing things that you knew you shouldn't do and you were sorry you went to God and you confessed your sin to him, but it never went away? And you were really sorry when you said, Lord, I didn't mean to do that and forgive me and I thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses me and I thank you that you provided for my sin. It's already accomplished and I just receive that. But, but why doesn't it work? Why is that sin still there? Why am I still plagued by it? because I haven't positioned myself in the the cleansing of that word. I haven't spent time in that word. It hasn't become the authority in my life. It hasn't become the rule in my life. I haven't been cleansed by it. You see, if I say to the Lord, I'm sorry for my, my anger, please forgive me. I'm forgiven. But I'm still struggling with my anger. What's the difference? I haven't set... And let him cleanse me with his word because then when I sit with his word and he cleanses me and it washes over me it's going to wash over me and say Rhea a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires every man should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry Rhea you see it's starting to cleanse me and I'm starting to not just be sorry that I said it I'm starting to now come under the authority of God's word I'm starting to let to seek first the kingdom of God his rule in my life and his righteousness I'm starting to want to live rightly before him instead of just be sorry for it and you see now I'm getting closer and closer and closer to the presence of God just falling in my life but we have another option we can just say thank you that the blood of Jesus cleanses me from the sin I don't have to have an authority in my life I don't have to sit with his presence I don't need to apply his word to my life I don't have to have any Christ like character I can just say I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I don't ever have to walk out rightly. Said, so, yeah, say, I'm feeling a little condemned. Come on, you're bigger than that. You are more mature than that. This isn't about condemnation. I said to Dave today, the scripture just keeps flying through my head all day today. How will they know unless somebody tells them? And we are sitting now in a church with a, a, a church today where pastors are not telling anymore because people might not come back. What is up with that? Meanwhile, we don't look a whole lot different than the unbeliever down the street. Meanwhile, we're outer court Christians that, that are content to just stay in the outer court and never get near the presence of God. So... The next one is the altar of incense and and you all know what that is that, that is constantly burning there 's always incense burning on it. The priest had to make sure that that it was constantly burning and that 's a picture of Christ always making intercession for us, but it 's also a picture of the prayer of the saints and and, and it was burning it was it was um, morning and evening but it 's interesting I, I saw a quote in, in one of my commentaries that said. The golden altar is not about paying the price for sin, but praying the price for intimacy. That's so good. It's not about paying the price for sin. It's about praying the price for intimacy. And I love that. That, that, that altar uh, uh, of incense, when we choose to become a living sacrifice and we die, we begin to participate in his, his death and then we remove sinful desires from our life. We let the, the word of God cleanse us but when we get closer and closer and then we start praying without ceasing, we start seeking his face with everything we have, we start laying down our will and praying that his will be done and as we do that, we're getting closer. Look how close that is to the Holy of Holies. Now look, He is the way. He is the truth. What's the veil called going into the holy of holies? The life. You see, when we do all those things, when we become a living sacrifice, when we lay down our life and we die to what we want and we start seeking first the kingdom of God, his rule and his reign in our life, Well, when we wash and we're cleansed by the water of his word, well, when we start getting filled with the Holy Spirit and submitting to the Holy Spirit in our life and allowing him to illuminate and and cleanse and purify our mind and and line our will up with God's will, and and we begin to to just let the authority of God and his word reign in our life, and, and then we begin to pray without ceasing that his will is done instead of our will be done. We're getting closer and closer to the presence of God, and we're beginning to taste and trip over into the Zoe life, the life, the abundant life that Christ had for us is found that, that when I die, I really find out that that's the way to live. That's the way to live. That lest a seed fall to the ground and die, it won't live. And so then we go in to the Holy of Holies and that's the presence of God. That is the presence of God. And for the, the priest, they could, go only, they could only go in there one time a year. But when Christ died on the cross, that, that veil was rent. And it was because he wanted us to be able to come boldly into the presence of God. That we can come boldly. We can come boldly. James says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Let's flip back to James chapter 1. And let me just read it to you one last time in closing. Let no one say when he is tempted, because we will be. I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. His own desires that don't line up with the kingdom of God, that don't fall under his rule and reign, that don't line up with this word. And when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. That's an automatic sowing and reaping layer. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Look at what he's saying, my beloved brethren. Do you know how much you're loved? Do you know that you're loved by God? You are beloved, you are his beloved. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. It means he's the same. He stays the same. He's constant. He is always good. He always gives good gifts. He is not evil. There is no evil in him. There's no darkness in him. He's not going to change tomorrow. He's not going to be different when you approach him tomorrow. He is constant, and he gives good gifts, and he is a good, good father and so james is saying don't be deceived by buying into the lie that you could find what you need in anything other than jesus he is the answer he is all you need he is your great i am everything you have need of he answers and says i am by his own will it was his will he brought us forth by the word of what truth that we might be a first kind a kind of first fruits of his creatures i just want to read you what the amplified says there it says that we might be a prime example of what he created to be set apart to himself, sanctified, made holy for his divine purposes. Do you know that we've been sanctified and made holy for his divine purposes? What would happen tomorrow morning if we got up and we said, Lord, what do you want to do with me today? How do you want to use me today? I've been set apart for your divine purposes. What do we want to do today, Lord? Carrie Coryton Boom used to wake up every morning and she'd say, Reporting for duty, Lord. What would happen if that's how we lived? So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We'll look at that next week. For the wrath of God does not produce the righteous, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's all about producing righteousness in your life, right living, character, integrity in your life. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness, meekness. It takes meekness to say, "Lord, I want to do this. I have this desire." I want this thing in my life. I'm lusting after this thing. But I am going to receive with meekness the implanted word. Because you say it's able to save my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions. And I'm going to choose to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. I'm going to do what this word says. I'm going to apply this to my life. I'm going to come up underneath the rule and the reign of God in my life. I'm going to let him be the authority in my life. I'm going to seek first the kingdom the king's domain and his righteousness. And then I'm gonna trust that all these things, that anything I'm craving, anything I'm desiring is gonna be added unto me because it won't be a fleshly desire if I'm seeking first his kingdom. And I'm not gonna be a hearer only of the word. I'm gonna be a doer. And I'm gonna look at this book like a man is looking at his face in his mirror and I'm not gonna walk away and forget what I look like. I'm gonna make some changes. I'm gonna make the adjustments. Because it's the law of liberty, and I'm going to continue in it. I'm not going to be a forgetful here. I'm going to do this word, and I'm going to be blessed in all I do because of it. And I'm going to keep myself unspotted by the world. That is chapter one of the book of James. What would happen, guys? What would happen if we really did that? You say, well, that's next to impossible. Really, because here's what I want to tell you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is living within you. The same grace that saved you, the Bible says now you've been given grace to be obedient. That same grace will empower you to walk out God's word in obedience. He doesn't ask us to do something he hasn't already given us the power to do. But we've got to choose to yield his presence to yield to the spirit to not be the outer court christian i can yield to the flesh or i can yield to the spirit i have a choice doesn't mean i'm going to die and go to hell but it sure does mean i'm going to miss out on the presence of god for those of you that weren't here last week bff breaking fellowship fool it's in my mind all the time adam and eve when they sinned they broke fellowship with god separated they were still there, his children, but they broke fellowship. What Leslie and I tasted this weekend was amazing. The presence of God that was there. The power of God that was in that place. The pastor wrote us a letter today, that this unbelievable letter. But that came because of the presence and the power of God. I'm going to tell you, I don't want to be an outer court Christian. You can be. It's it, There's nobody's, nobody's forcing you. Nobody's holding a gun to your head. But I just want to tell you that there is so much more. There is so much more. The Bible talks about just getting to heaven. Basically, what is it, Leslie? Escaping by the skin of your teeth or by what? By, yeah, by, yeah. Uh, And everything else will be burned away. (laughs) But you get there. And, you know, if that's how you're content, rock on with your bad self, it's all good. But I just believe there's more. I just believe there's more. I don't believe he wants us to live powerless. I just don't. And everything we need for life and godliness, the word of God says we've been given. We have it in us. It's a matter of yielding to it. Any questions about the tabernacle that I maybe wasn't clear on? Or, there's so much good stuff. If you start to, to study the, the covering, if you start to, st- to study what the curtains were made out of, it's fascinating. Um, all of the, the uh, er- oh, it's just cool. Just If you look into the tabernacle, maybe sometime we'll do a study on the tabernacle. It's fascinating. Um, and then the temple is a is the next step there and then of course the temple of the holy spirit becomes you and i so uh, anyway any other que- any questions clear as mud yes the mercy seat that i i, I have it in my notes this would be we go into a lot of things but you know that the mercy seat the ark of the covenant has um three items in it the three items are dave help me out if i'm wrong the Ten Commandments, the manna, and the rod of Aaron that is budding. And all of those things, I think, now somebody might argue with me, but I believe that those things are in that ark because they're all things to prove where man failed, that they couldn't, we couldn't keep the Ten Commandments, we couldn't keep the law. Um, the, the budding uh, rod was a picture of not falling under God's authority, but God still bringing resurrection power um, the manna was, you know, only collect uh, what you need for today, and of course they didn't, and it got rotten. And um, so there, were, I think that those three things were left in there. There are other opinions, but it's all a picture of we don't have the ability to. We don't bring anything really to the table, and then the mercy seat, the blood of Jesus covers it. Um, the cherubim are there. That it's all fascinating study. Too much to go into tonight but really um what we really need to know is the presence of god is there um and the fact that the priest could not and we've studied this before where the priest camp could only go in one time a year bells and pomegranates on there remember when we studied bells and pomegranates and and how they'd have a rope and they because they'd want to pull them out because the presence of god they might die in the presence of the in the presence of god and you know, isn't it cool that that veil was rent and we get to come boldly into God's presence? We don't need a rope or bells and pomegranates. We, we get to, as long as they heard the bells, they knew that the priest was still alive and they wouldn't have to pull him out with a rope. Just cool, it's such a cool, just cool. Everything about it is cool. I mean, it's interesting if you look about how the, um, the, uh, the 12 tribes were arranged around the tabernacle. It's interesting, they're arranged in a shape of a cross. If you look at it, um, that's fascinating. It's fascinating to see where they were arranged and which tribes got to be the closest. Um, What else? Davey, do you know anything that that you like that's, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the thing to me, the curtains are really interesting. Some of them were made with linen, which is our righteousness. Another one I think, and and don't quote me on this, was a red, um, uh, maybe camel hair, ram's hair, ram's hair, and that was a picture of the blood of Jesus. Uh, goat's hair, which is a picture of him being our scapegoat and carrying away our sin. Um, it's just, it's fascinating. The, it, it's really a great study if you have never done it. Leslie, what was the one we did? Uh, God's heart, a woman's heart, God's dwelling place. A dwelling place, something like that. I think it's God's, a woman's heart, God's dwelling place. And it's about the tabernacle. And that's, that's a fascinating study by Beth Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, any other questions? <clears throat> so, Father, I thank you for my sisters and my brothers, and Lord, I thank you um, that you are going to bring together that scattered teaching, and you're going to make it all make sense. But, Lord, most of all, I thank you that you sanctify us and you set us apart by the washing of your word. And so this week, I pray that we would uh, get in your word and we'd stay there till we hear the rhema, the, the word Speak to us, Lord, and that we wouldn't be quick to leave your presence until we hear your voice speaking. And Lord, that that word would just cleanse us and wash us and and truly have an impact in our life this week. Give us a hunger for your word. Give us a thirst after righteousness and be exalted, my King, I pray in Jesus' name.